Hello and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host, FU Deputy Editor, Olivia Midgley. We're here with a new episode every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you never miss out. Well, we've been bombarded with some interesting looking, some may say unappetising images of fake meat and alternative proteins to try and tempt us to give up meat for Veganuary. But this year, a campaign based on a more sensible, seasonal approach to diet has been gathering pace. Forget Veganuary, here's Seasonuary. Jez Fredenberg catches up with the initiative's founder, John Pelagi, a former restaurateur and now co-founder of major online butcher, Farmison. Later, Jess finds out more about the We Eat Balance campaign, which, you guessed it, tells consumers why a healthy, balanced diet, which contains fresh meat and dairy, is the best possible health choice you can make. No fakes, no fads, just proper British farm-produced food. For several years now, January has also been known as Veganary, the month when people up and down the country try to go vegan in the name of a healthier and more sustainable diet. But could it actually be missing the point and doing the opposite? One man who thinks so is John Pelagi, a former restaurateur and now co-founder of heritage meat supplier Farmerson & Co, which has won online butcher of the year three times. John, you're calling for seasonary, love that word by the way, seasonary instead of veganary. Tell us what you mean by this and why you think it should be you know, the focus of a, of a sustainable food uh, campaign as opposed to a, a vegan one. Uh, hello everybody. Um, well, first of all, Veganuary is very much a small break, uh, and I'm very supportive of all diets. It's not an anti-vegan or vegetarian position I take. But vegan, uh, the Veganuary uh, position is for a small period of time, and, and it's asking people to completely change their diet for, for four or five weeks. Uh, economically, that's not a great place to be. You don't just stop other sectors uh, for five weeks, think of the impact. You can't stop animals growing. You can't stop the process of that. So that that's one aspect I think, which isn't isn't necessarily um, as positive as it could be. And my my call is really more focusing on 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 the seasons, which is year long, and it's a constant, and it's not just a snapshot. It's not just giving up something, drink or or cigarettes for 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 ten minutes uh, metaphorically. But actually, there's a further and bigger and longer commitment that is a natural commitment. You're not forcing it because the seasons we've, we've got, we're blessed with, the, with, with some of the, the most profound seasons, the best weather, the best grasslands, uh, the best climate um, that accommodates seasonality and accommodates growing both of, of vegetables and fruit and of livestock. And this requires quite a shift in in our diets doesn't it and i think quite a shift probably potentially in the way that we farm you know because if we think about it the, at the moment the majority of our fresh fruit and veg is imported that, that that's just a, a reality isn't it um so in order for us to become more more seasonal in that sense you know how do you think how do you think we we would be able to create that shift because it seems to me like it's and you and i were talking about this a little bit just before we started recording but it's more than than just everyone going out being like okay what what can i eat this in season we need to make sure that um those fruit and vegetables are actually there don't we but um there are other players in in this whole system like i think you mentioned chefs earlier and supermarkets you know how do you think it, it can it, it can sort of move towards that. 
Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, it's not just any one movement. It's not for one person or a group of people. It's such a big, big um, position to take. It needs it needs our wonderful supermarkets who who, who, who daily feed the nation. Um, they have to take a look at, at how they're buying, what they're buying, and where they're buying it from, and are they accommodating the seasons? We can't have a step change immediately because would our farmers and growers and producers be ready for that? So it's got to, it's got to be a process that we commit to and it can't be a, an instant, um, it's fashionable, so let's commit to it now. It's a, Working with the seasons is a long game. We need people and institutions like the NHS, like the education and the feeding of, of children and patients in those, uh, in those positions to, to also um, embrace seasonality. We need our wonderful professional chefs who've done an amazing job over the last 25 years and, and have made the United Kingdom one of the gastronomic capitals of the world in London. And, and it's great when the chefs are, are bringing in white truffle from, from Croatia or from Italy and flying, flying produce around the world for flavour. But actually the challenge here is, is about embracing the seasons, embracing what this great country, this great land produces, both from under the ground and on top of the ground, I'm talking livestock as well as, as growing produce, and then creating inspiration for the, these newfound home cooks that we have that the pandemic has, has, has forced into the kitchen. But it's not John Pelagi and Farmers on and Co. that's going to do this alone. It needs um, a much, a much, a much bigger push from from everywhere, from from media through to, to to politicians, through to to those newly found domestic home cooks. Yeah, I think it, it also. I think for me, it's a sort of almost falling back in love with our landscapes and what what they're they're best suited to producing, and and kind of just yeah, falling back in love with with our own land and really embracing that. I mean, just just going back though to the idea of of seasonary as opposed to veganary. Like to me, to me, the idea of seasonary feels like a a step up <laughs> from veganary in terms of sustainability for sure. And you wrote John on your on your blog that um that has gone out quite widely now about this. You know, you wrote you, you gave like a really good case I thought for why you thought a seasonal approach to eating was much more sustainable than than a, a vegan approach. Can you just outline your your thoughts on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that some of the frustrations around maybe a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet are that there is only so much that can be grown domestically and um, when we're flying in produce that has many, many ingredients to accommodate a plant-based diet because there is a concern from the, uh, the, the, the person having and enjoying that diet around um, the environment. Well, actually, it's having a negative effect because if you're bringing in produce that is being flown around the world to accommodate a palate flavour of some crushed avocado sat in Marks and Spencers in the middle of January just so we can have a nice brunch on a Saturday afternoon and, and, um, and feel good about ourselves well that that shouldn't make us feel good about ourselves and and this is why where our great professional chefs can play a major major part in in inspiring people to to and that's not me saying eat meat instead of avocado it's saying use the assets that we've got let's get creative with the flavors and let's inspire people that there is more than um, out there to eat in in that respect and and again 
avocado plays a major part when in season. And I'm not saying don't eat avocados. I love avocado, but let's let's have it when in season. And if I'm gonna if I'm gonna buy an avocado and it's flying all the way in from Mexico, well, I'm gonna pay a lot more for that. I should pay a lot more for that. We should pay a lot more from that for, for that. So so I think there's there's a there's a, a a big play in terms of how we educate and 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 allow people to understand what great produce we have in this country. Why, why in the middle of, of November, December and January are we walking into our large supermarkets and finding British apples and British pears sat alongside South African and French and, and Spanish, especially when, uh, you know, the, the top, at the top of our game, we have some of the best apples in the world. Look at our cider reputation. You know, we have amazing, amazing produce, but I, I think as we, as, we, as we delve towards being a foodie nation, and I don't think we're there yet, but in, in two or three more generations, I think we will be there. However, we probably like the feel-good factor of calling ourselves foodies. I certainly think our professional chefs are there now, and I think they'll lead, they lead the world in many, many instances, and the public are catching up. And I think this, this, this impact with people cooking at home in that age group I mentioned earlier is all part of the, of the process of, of, um, of us becoming a food nation. And part of that process, I strongly believe, is that we've got to embrace the assets we have, which is um, uh, which is, is defined seasons, amazing produce, some of the most environmental, uh, environmentally friendly farming in the world. Period. Our livestock farmers are producing livestock using natural feed, grass. We've got the best grass in the world. And again, when you practice seasonality, be it in vegetation and fruit, or even in meat, when you've got you know chicken is always best eaten in the autumn. We have spring lamb in April. We have the game season in August and September. We have turkey at Christmas. Um, you know, the, the, we do have seasonality attached to our livestock as well, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. It's just we've gone through 25 or 30 years of having everything instantly because of the way the, uh, the, the supermarkets uh, are feeding into the consumer. And I challenge them to say, do we really have to have crushed avocado? Is that really necessary? And I, I, only, I only use that because it, it's of the moment, it's January and we've got that on the shelves. There's many, many different reasons, uh, many different pro, uh, um, examples out there. Strawberries from um, Spain in January, if somebody wants to eat them and, and have that diet, great but you're going to pay five times more for that. Yeah, well, well, let's, I mean, this brings us on to um, the idea that you're you're putting forward at the moment of an unseasonal food levy, which, I, I mean, there are all sorts of things we could talk about here, but just let, first of all, please do outline what you what you mean by this, um, John, and what how you think it could work. Yeah, I, I think that some of the points I, I, I've already made in, in, in the last 10 minutes, but ultimately this is about, it is about first of all, um, incentivising people to buy British and buy in season. Um, and if you are going to buy your strawberries um, and the British strawberries and you're going to pay a pound upon it, um, if you're going to then continue to eat strawberries out of season, and those strawberries are being flown in from um, a European or South African or South American country, then you should pay the true and proper price for that. And it shouldn't be absorbed into the overall cost of food. Um, these, are, these are things that are coming in, competing with British produce, um, out of season, and, not, and, and, and a lot of the time don't taste as good. Um, and 
we, we've, we, we, mustn't, we mustn't lose sight of taste. And taste is super, super important. And eating seasonally comes with all its nutrients and all the, the blessings of why something is seasonal and ready. I think bringing in um, 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 produce that we already grow in this country and then they're sat there in January like apples and pears and, and the, the priced sometimes more competitively than uh, British, they've still been flown all, around, all the way around the world um, and there still should be a place for them. And we should also look at the wider economic impact of some of the, the third world countries where we buy our produce from to ensure that we don't just switch all that off. But let's, let's make sure that, that they get a fair price for their product and, and the British public, if they want to eat that way and fly things in, then, they, then, then that should come at a cost. Yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of... Um... There's a lot of different things to, to think about here, isn't there? If if we were if there was to be something like an unseasonal food levy, um, I think you've you've just highlighted some there. Like for example, the 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 potential impact on um, on farmers, you know, in in developing countries potentially who rely on those exports. Um, but there are also all sorts of questions, aren't there? I think around what is in season. What what if it's in season down in Portugal or? Spain or something, but it's not something we grow here. And even if it is in season down there, um, I mean, I know at the moment I've been looking into this, like, for example, the avocado thing right now in southern Portugal, a lot of um, a lot of traditional old vines, olive trees, things like that are being ripped up to grow very water thirsty avocados. And technically, <laughs> technically, we could say, oh, well, that's that's in season down there. So can we import it here? So there's all sorts of questions like this, aren't there? Um, but I think one one thing it, to me, it, the thing that strikes me is that for something like this to work, it would need to almost um, come in almost gradually as farmers in the UK produced more fruit and vegetables. Because it wouldn't really, at the moment, I think like, the vast majority of our fruit and veg would, would have an unseasonal food levy on it, wouldn't it? So there would have to be something like that. And at the same time, uh, one thing I always try to bring up, you know, when, when we talk about adding adding cost onto, onto food is about the issue of poverty in the UK and the fact that a lot of people can't afford food at the moment. And I don't know what you think about this, John, but... In my mind, that this is this is not an issue of food being too expensive. It's an issue of of poverty, and unless we tackle that, then things like an unseasonal food levy aren't really going to going to work. I don't know what your thoughts are on all this. Yeah, I, 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 it's a really complex subject, Jez. If I'm honest, and um, you know what what frustrates me is is that we've we've lost a couple of generations um, in in um, education and cooking at home and I've got no problem whatsoever with um, with uh, eating burgers I think that there's a place for them you know burgers are there because we had to carcass balance as an example and and it was like what do we do with this bit that's left well let's make some meatballs says the Italians oh well, let's make some burgers says the Americans and and these are useful useful things but when you're in this realm of 
of killing lean cows for burger meat. Well, that's just a million miles away from where I think our food supply chain should be. In terms of, of the, the, the cost and of, of, of produce into uh, more challenged um, households, financially challenged households, uh, I, I hear that and I, 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 that is my background in many ways. My father was a refugee um, and I, you know, I didn't come from a privileged background at all. So I understand, but I watched my grandparents on the Hungarian side um, break down and eat everything. And it was, a, it was part of you, you eat everything. And I was eating foods that most of my, um, most of my school friends wouldn't, would have never have come across their palate. So I was quite lucky in that respect. But what it did give me is an insight into how, how cheap food can be if you've really played with flavor, which is where your professional chefs step in and where the inspiration of cooking needs to be really, really, um, it needs a big injection to support our SOS, um, save our seasons. Um, and you know, the fact that we're, as a nation, we're a fillet steak eating nation and it's it's the most unsustainable cut of meat you could possibly want to eat. No different than chicken breast. We're a chicken breast eating nation. So we don't consider the rest of the bird because we just want fat free, no bone, easy to cut, easy to slice. And that's just so far away from how the French, the Italians and the Spanish think when it comes to food. So we've got much more fundamental players. I don't think it's just one area to focus on what about how much things cost or, 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 or how, much, um, how much cooking um, education people have at the moment. There is so many moving parts. And that's why I, I'm calling for this, to get everyone's attention aligned to say, actually, really think about this because the moving parts quite quite huge and it needs it needs a, it needs a lot of people focused as i said earlier from from the media supporting it through to defra through to the nfu through to the chief executives of marks and spencer's sainsbury's waitrose you know it needs a move it needs a, it needs a lot of people moving at the right part notwithstanding we need to get the farming producers up to speed so you don't just turn on carrots and turn on apples and turn on beef it needs time, it needs skill, and it needs, um, it, it, you know, it needs, it needs support. And that's where the British public can definitely step in. Needs a strategy, by the sounds of it, doesn't it? It needs a proper strategy. And, yeah, I'm feeling like we're probably not going to get that from <laughs> right now, from our current political situation. But um... Maybe, but we mustn't stop trying. And, and, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, what's more important than food? No, absolutely, yeah. Nothing. Without food, we don't live. So uh, food definitely gets everyone's attention once we start thinking about it. Now, a seasonal diet is, as we've just heard, also a pretty balanced one normally. And another alternative campaign to veganary happening right now is all about this. Here to explain more and also to share insight into how farmers can communicate better on this subject is Liam Byrne, Head of Marketing at HDB. Liam, what is the We Eat Balanced campaign all about and why did you decide to put it out during veganary? Okay, hi Jess. So the Wheat Balance campaign is a, is a common sense campaign and it's focused on communicating the positive role that both meat and dairy can play as a healthy and um, sustainable diet. If we can get those facts across, then we're giving consumers the confidence that if they're putting some meat and dairy from Britain in their shopping basket, the next time then they'll be choosing um, a meat that's got one of the lowest carbon footprints and some of the highest welfare standards versus the rest of the world. Plus, we know with vitamin B12 that 
if you're adding some meat and dairy to your vegetables, you'll be boosting the number of nutrients in your meal. We know that meat and dairy has a role to play. It's part of the Eat Well Guide. Uh, it's just about how we communicate that um, at a time when there's be lots of messages coming through about cutting it. We're very respectful that everybody has a right to, to eat what they want. And, and veganuary and, and veganism is more than a diet. It's a, it, there's, there's a culture um, around that. However, when it comes to what you eat, it's broadly recognised that the more food groups you eat, the richer your nutrient intake and the, is going to be. So actually having a balance to what you eat, in theory, is, is good, is better for you. And it's um, the BNF, the British Nutrition Foundation, did a recent study that following um, a balanced diet can, can be better for you. And it can also, if you're following it using British products, be more sustainable as well. Uh, we did a big piece of research at the back end of of, um, of last year with consumers because there's a whole load of different messages that we go out with when we're talking about uh, environment or health. So we really just wanted to understand which of those would have the biggest impact. So we tested a long list of about 35 different messages. And through that system of testing, we were able to identify the kind of top three winning statements. So what are the top three winning messages that would make the biggest difference to people? And they were um, around vitamin B12, so that consistently performs well in all the tests we do. And the fact that you can't naturally uh, get vitamin B12 from foods of plant origin. And then two slightly broader statements, which were um, that meat and dairy from Britain is one of the most sustainable in the world. And our meat and dairy um, from Britain, they're produced to world-class food and farming standards. So with the three, so that, um, that became the drumbeat of the, the campaign. Um, and then TV really sets the scene. So that's, um, you know, that's the, our, our crown jewel piece. But then we also run the campaign through um, social media. We're in uh, print um, and uh, copies of press. Uh, we're on catch up um, TV. Uh, so they call that video on demand. Um, and then we're also in supermarkets at, at shelf as well. And like like you say, you know, it's it is up to everybody isn't it to to make those personal choices about what they eat and you know we don't want to do any vegan bashing or vegetarian bashing certainly not on this show or in farmer's guardian but there is there is an issue here of of sustainability i think isn't there and what is the most sustainable diet and that often i think in this whole debate about about what to eat to be sustainable and whether that should include animal protein or dairy or not it can be quite an emotive subject, can't it now? Like you say, this is more than just a diet now. It's actually like a whole culture and lifestyle around it. So if you're if you're a farmer listening to this and you want to just have a conversation with, with a consumer, uh, you know, with a member of the public about this and start raising these sorts of issues in a in a respectful way, but in a in a useful kind of way, you know, what would you recommend to them? Um so I was reading I was reading something by George Monbiot. It has been a bit of a thorn in the side for the livestock um, uh, sector. But what he was saying was that um, what's happened over recent kind of years is that eating's become a bit of a moral minefield for people, not just beef, but avocados from Mexico or almond milk. Or It's really difficult. Consumers just want to do the right thing. And they tell us that consistently. 
And since lockdown, what we found is that people have increasingly turned to technology, so mobile phones, and then social media then and the algorithms within social media are effectively kind of feeding people stories. And some of those stories are kind of global, uh, offer kind of a global narrative. So they're not necessarily um, accurate when you look at farming practices in this country. And some of them just aren't true. And it's really difficult for consumers and even for us in AHDB when we show them to experts because there's different studies to really kind of unpick uh, what is right and what is wrong. So kind of our, uh, you know, my advice if you're a farmer is don't, there's very little point trying to have the debate with somebody like a vegan that doesn't agree with what you're doing. Um, uh, you will all, you, there will be, it will come out as what we say as a lose-lose. As Neither side will gain ground. And we've seen that in the past. The opportunity really for us was not to go up against veganism, as I said. It's actually just to give people um, a balance of, um, of, a, of opinion or an alternate view. And when it comes to consumers, my advice is just to, to keep your conversation simple. And one thing that we do know is that consumers want to feel more connected with their food. They told us that um, through lockdown. Um, people were looking for greater transparency around uh, the food system and where their food comes from. And increasingly, you know, the modern times and, and the way that we consume food, that we have become more disconnected with it. So actually, there's just a real opportunity for people to, you know, farmers especially, to reconnect with consumers. And I would say hand on heart, Consumers are really open to hearing more from farmers. Um, so it's just how you reconnect consumers with what you do in a really simple way that shows that you're making meaningful differences. And there are some brilliant examples that we see every day of farmers out there making differences to farming more sustainably, farming to higher welfare standards, and just bringing that story to to um to consumers that's 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 the secret and the more the more of us that do that the bigger the drumbeat uh, the better the message we'll get across thanks to jez and john and liam there and if you'd like to help spread the message about eating meat and dairy as part of a balanced and sustainable diet ahdb has a toolkit full of facts and is also looking for farming ambassadors to take up the challenge to get involved email farming.ambassadors at ahdb .org.uk. Well, that's it for this week. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more. Goodbye for now.